This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm using my phone for this intro, but I did not use it for the episode. That's one of those uh, full disclosure things that I didn't need to actually disclose. That's my dishwasher going on in the background because I don't think about things like uh, <clears throat> shutting it off. Anyway, Chris Gathard's on the show tonight or today. It was a really good talk. Uh, he has a great show, uh, off-Broadway show called Career Suicide, which is a dark and funny show. You should check that out if you're in New York. And uh, I have some shows coming up. What do I have? January 20th, I'll be at San Francisco Sketch Fest doing a crowd work show on January 20th. 21st and 22nd doing crowd work shows in Los Angeles at Riot Fest. Then I'm going to tell some jokes February 24th at Aggie Theater in Fort Collins, Colorado. Never been there. And February 25th, I'll be in Denver at the Oriental Theater telling jokes. The shows are not crowd work shows unless I specify. Ooh, intense. What else? Oh, Toddberry t-shirts, Toddberry podcast t-shirts. If you go to toddberry.com slash shirt. Um, I have a book coming out called Thank You for Coming to Hattiesburg. It's a uh, tour diary, which is uh, about touring secondary markets, and it's coming out in March. Gallery books. Imprint of Simon and Schuster, the real deal. You can pre-order it. Go to my website, and there's various links you could pre-order it if you're into pre-ordering. Uh, Feral Audio brings you this podcast. Go to feralaudio.com and click on their support artists link, and you can use their Amazon link to buy stuff, and that will go to uh, the artists. A little cut of that, so it's a way of contributing without actually contributing, which is ideal, right? trying to think there's anything else uh no i think that's it so here is chris gethard (laughs) uh we were just talking i was apologizing i was doing my usual apology for the shitty setup i have but you were very gracious i was saying no need no need to apologize (laughs) i've experienced far shittier things in recent history yeah let's hear them Let's see. I, I was <laughs> I was mentioning that there's a, a place where you where you go, you do the podcast in their basement, and it's a very beloved place. The creek, the creek in the cave, mm-hmm. Long Island City, beloved place. Performed right. there so many times. Love it. Love Rebecca. But when you first go to their podcasting studio, you feel like like something bad's gonna happen because it's just it's got that cellar feel. Or yeah, you go into a basement and basement. then through like a door that it looks like you're not supposed to open, and then through down a hallway, and you're like, "What is at the end of this?" And it's a podcasting studio. That that's that's outright scary. This is just like a a nice home. This I, is a beautiful home I live in. It is. It's great. <laughs> Let's pretend it's a home. No, you don't. Re- you don't. You don't regard it as such. I guess I'm. You know, I'm probably being 
too uh, silly about the word home. Fair. It is my home, though. Yeah. How long have you been here? I've been here a few years. Where do you live? Yeah. I live in Jackson Heights. That's Queens, right? Mm-hmm. Is there good Thai food there? Is that where Jackson Great Heights? Thai food and great Indian food, yeah. yeah. The Thai food's like in Woodside right over the border, but I live like four blocks from Little India, so that's nice. And I lived in Woodside for years, then I did Brooklyn for two years, and then I went back to Queens. You've never done Manhattan? No, no. I have a weird... I grew up in North Jersey, Uh huh. and I think everybody there had this like quiet resentment of the city. And I don't think that's ever... To- I don't resent the city in any way, but I think I grew up feeling like, oh, the city... I've always felt like a little... Like I belong on the... You're intimidated the outside by looking in. I don't. Yeah, definitely intimidated by it. I'm. I'm secure enough to admit that, and also like <laughs> feel. I think I just grew up. You know, I could like see the Manhattan skyline from my house growing up. That's how close I lived to the city. And I think there were a lot of people who were just like, "Oh, the city. They do their thing. It's dangerous. It's this. It's that." And I think I just grew up feeling like, "Oh, Manhattan's not my thing," and I never quite lost it, even though I'm in Manhattan literally every day of my life now. Maybe you don't need to be in Manhattan though. No, I feel... I mean, to live in Manhattan. I feel pretty good about where I am. I feel pretty okay about it, yeah. See, I have the reverse thing where I feel like I'm stubbornly staying in Manhattan. Yeah. Even though, like, I go out to Brooklyn, I go, oh, man, I kind of... This is cool. Yeah. It's like going on a little vacation. It's like, oh, I never... That's that's a bar I've never been to. That's a little restaurant I never heard about. And I would imagine the large majority of the people you know live in in Brooklyn, right? Everyone lives in Brooklyn. Yeah, see, I'm in Queen... Manhattan makes sense. At least you're hanging on to something. I'm in Queens and everyone I know lives in Brooklyn, and that's just... That just kills the social life, you know. Right. How like how long does it take you to get into a... into the city? It's not bad. Like I can take the E or the F Express, and it's like forty minutes either one. Probably got here in like forty minutes, forty five minutes. Yeah. Um, but Queens to Brooklyn is a nightmare. It's a it's, nightmare. It's kind of amazing how long it could take. You could travel and still you're still in New York City. Yeah. And it's not even that big, New York City. No, I don't think. it's crazy. It's nuts. Now, the last time we worked together, you remember this, right? Do you remember this? Was it uh, Forest Hills? Yes. Yeah. Forest Hills Stadium. Yeah. That was pretty cool, right? We opened for Louie. Yeah, that was that was very cool. That was the largest amount of people I've ever performed in front of. Yeah, and you also um, got the call. Like, I I showed up there like, uh, I'm always too early. Like, I, I had scheduled it. I kind of asked him if I could do it, like, a few, maybe a week or so before or whatever. And then when I was there, he's still like, who else should I get? Like 7 o'clock at night for an 8 o'clock show in front of 12,000 people. Like, who else should I get? Oh, Chris, Chris, go. See if his agent was there. You put in my name on it. No, I didn't put on your name. Oh, nice. Okay. I didn't kibosh your name, but I... Okay, that's good. He came up with it, but uh, I'm not taking it. I was blown away by that because I've only met him a handful of times and we've never really talked that much. Right. And I got that call. You're not kidding. Like I got off. I got off the train that day, and I was walking to my house. And my wife. We were gonna have our neighbors over. We had just met our neighbors, and you don't really meet neighbors too much in New York City. And right. they're, they're like around the same age as us. And we're like, let's have them over for dinner. And my wife was cooking, and I got the call outside my apartment. And it was it was it was my agent. And he was like, "Can you get to Four Hills in like half an hour?" And I was like, "Yeah, why?" Like, but you know, in, in your comedy brain, it's like, "What's going on in Forest Hills?" Right. Like, that's not if you're not in New York, you wouldn't know. That's a neighborhood that's like that's not you're not it's not like you're going to like go do the clubs on the Upper West Side and then swing through Brooklyn and then pop out to Forest Hills. I was like, "What is going on?" And then he told me that and I was like, "Yeah, of course, but I I did have a moment where I was like, "Man, my wife already started cooking. Let me I had to like run in and be like, "So, 
Yeah, I was thinking of that because, like, that's that yeah. would be frustrating to get a call when you just like, oh, we're we're on our way to. The, we just bought movie tickets. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so I, I ran inside and my wife, I was like, so I, I had this thing that came up. I don't have to do it. And she's like, what? And I'm like, I just got asked to open for Louis at the at the tennis stadium. And she was like, yeah, you. And I'm coming with you, you idiot. And she just like turned off the burners on the yeah. stove. And our neighbors came with us, and it was nice. But I was like very, I was very taken aback by it. I was very taken aback. Yeah, I was there when when he um. When he thought of your name, that's cool. He's, he's like, and then he just he just had the agent call you. So yeah, I was surprised because I, I I did like a tiny part on his show, mm-hmm. like was played an open mic host, and then I did Whiplash one night, and he he went up right after me, and and on stage he was like, oh that guy was funny, and that's like about it. Yeah, and we didn't even talk much that night at Forest Hills, nor did I. I didn't expect to like sit down and have a heart to heart, but I was like, oh that's really cool. Yeah, he's pretty good about rewarding people just. You know, if he sees somebody likes, giving him a break. Yeah. I mean, he he was in Australia once, and he, he went to like an open, like a small book room before he was doing his regular, sh- and just saw a guy, and like the next day, the guy was opening for him at the Sydney Opera. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> like the guy's just going to do his like eight minutes set. Oh shit, that's my uh, <laughs> it's my email thing that I forgot to turn oh, off. Fair. I um, also had a moment of terror, and this hasn't happened to me in a while, but I like. I was like in my first joke on stage, and it was what like twelve thousand people. Or yeah, something? yeah, it was a lot of people. Yeah, I'm was. sure you've done bigger, but for me, I was no, like, "Well, this is that's like that's about the yeah. upper limits of stand up, at least in New York, right?" right. Like, and I was in my first joke, and I had that moment of like, I didn't know what I messed up, but I had I was like, "This joke's longer than this. Like, I'm not supposed to be at this part yet. Like, I didn't know what I had forgotten, but I was like, I le- this joke is definitely." And I was like, oh, I forgot all that stuff about my dad. And then I had to like kind of like loop back around in my head and get the information back in there. Right. uh, My wife saw it and she was like, no one noticed. She was like, I I didn't notice. She was like something. She was like, I could tell the order was different. I just thought you like rewrote the joke. But I had a moment where in front of 12,000 people, I was like, oh, I forgot this. I forgot this joke. Oh, no. Like from when you realized you were going to do it, did you say, oh, I got to come up with a set or do you have sort of something locked and loaded like or like this will take about 12 minutes or eight minutes, whatever? I definitely had like a because I do a lot of like longer story stuff. Uh But I also like coming from like the UCB world and the alt world where things can be rambly. I committed a few years ago. I was like, I want to do the clubs just because like I think there's a lot of people from my background who never do. Mm -hmm. And I think and it's hard and I want to do it because it's hard. So I definitely was like, okay. I'm gonna do all the stuff that works at the at the stand tonight. You know what I mean? Like yeah, come like, out, guns blazing. It'll still be my style, but it's like this is the stuff that I know has enough punchlines to keep people focused. And 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 I bet a lot of Louis fans are people who are who are uh, are are used to that. So let me let me come at it from that angle. But it was pretty it's pretty intimidating. But I also like I enjoy those. The longer I do this, the more I'm like, oh yeah. Every once in a while, you just wind up in a situation where. Something weird happens, and it's pretty funny that on half an hour notice, I performed for twelve thousand people. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of got a thrill on your behalf and on the behalf of whoever else he called on ten minutes notice. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's got to be a crazy call again. It was, it was. Yeah, thanks, man. And it was, it was to the point where, like, when I showed up that day, like, they didn't, I didn't even know where the entrance was. Yeah. So I was like just following the crowd in, and then like grabbed a security guy and i was like hey i'm on the show and he was like what are you talking about i was like i don't know where to go i'm performing on the show and he was like you got to get in there i was like i know i know i know i know i know you're lucky you got someone who said you got to get in there then like you ain't on the show i know i know i had that moment of like am i really gonna miss this because i can't find the entrance like what what is going on do you in general 
like how nervous were you or wasn't there not enough time to get nervous or both? That, I, I, I'm at a point, I don't know. I don't know if this sounds arrogant. I don't get nervous so much anymore just because it's like, it's not, it's not, it's not even confidence has replaced nervousness. It's just like, well, if you eat shit, every, it happens, like it happens. Right. So I'm, I'm, I have a thick skin with that. But that one, I was definitely more just like overwhelmed, like not nervous so much as just like truly overwhelmed. And then, and then, um, it was Greer who went before me uh -huh. and Louis was watching him and I was like, oh, whoa, Louis going to watch it. And, but then I realized he was like mostly saying like, I want this camera angle a little higher. Like this one should be, and I was like, oh, he's not. And then he just kind of like, I think went off and was like focusing. I was like, oh, he's definitely not watching me. I'm just going to relax that. It was the idea that Louis might watch was making me more nervous than the 12,000 people factor. Right. And then I realized that he was not going to watch and I was, and that took a lot of the <laughs> and stress. And you cut away. loose. Yeah, I really said some shit about him that he still doesn't know about to this day. <laughs> and, and he does not listen to this. So, um, the, uh, yeah, that was really, that was fun. Have you, uh, have you ever toured as like just a, I hate to say straight stand up, but yeah, like, I've done it more and more the past few years. Um, I really did like, I think I'm still known mostly for my UCB upbringing, but I haven't really done improv in like, at this point, like five years. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I did a, I was doing a ton of stand up, and then what really accelerated things for me was I, uh, I did, uh, I did Bonnaroo one year and Burbiglia was on the bill uh -huh. and he saw me and he was like, dude, you're really good at the storytelling stuff now. And I was like, thanks man. And like, you know, he does tons of that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, if you ever need anybody, keep me in mind. And I'd already been doing comedy for many years at that point, but I was like, I just know as a stand up, I haven't paid my dues. So I had like spent a lot of time. I was like, it's funny because in the Rafifi days, I started getting asked not to those guys' shows and I would just eat it all the time. But then I realized like I'm up there with like a young John Mulaney and Aziz and Pete Holmes and all these guys mm -hmm. who it's like, this is what they do. They're going for it. And I was like, I need to step back. And I, I did, I just spent a couple of years where I was like, I'm going to do bar shows and open mics and just really pay the dues. Cause if I want to get good at this, I have to really do it the right way. And opening for Mike was another thing where I was like, I just know I'll learn a lot and see how this works. So I went all over the country with him and, and then, yeah, now I do a bunch of like the, you know, I get college gigs based on my like weirdo reputation and I uh -huh. uh, do some of the clubs that are more alt friendly around the country. Yeah. And the festivals and stuff. Right. It's nice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, do you hear, is there like a hum? Do you hear a hum? I'm going to investigate this. I hear quickly. a slight hum. Is this some sort of setup? Yeah, this this is, yeah. I've got, I've got your friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> It's coming off as a nice room tone, I think. I don't oh, think any oh, okay. I don't think any listeners would should, be bothered. Should by we it. leave this part in where I went and Yeah, why not? I think right? so, it's yeah. Kind of a nice slice of life. Yeah. Between yeah. that and the sirens and Yeah. It's also good to point out a hum that now everyone will notice. Yeah. Before you said it, no one cares. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm quite good at doing that kind of thing. Find picking pointing the person who's not having a good time out yeah. in the crowd and making it letting them set the tone of the evening. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh so you, I saw your, we saw, ugh, saw your show. You're going to do your show in a few hours here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. That was it, great. Man. And I, I had caught a part of it when we shared a bill in uh, San Francisco. I caught it in the middle. Oh yes. Yes. Was, yes. And uh, I, I was like, oh, oh good. I get to see the whole thing now. Nice. Did you, um, I had some questions about that. Did sure. you, uh, what was I going to ask? Oh yeah. Did, 
like how this is just a generic how did you write it but how did you write it well um i mean process wise like yeah type it out or no more go on stage and just do it like I, I i especially feel like since i do stuff that's like a little longer and more rambly like it's kind of impossible to predict on the page so i'll like outline some stuff maybe or just like put some bullet points but then a lot of it is uh a lot of it was like some some of the stories that are just the outright funniest parts were like let me go just do this on stand-up nights and um you know would do that at like at at some of the places that are friendly to me and I was like, okay, maybe some of the sad stuff is actually working comedically and let me try it. And then did like a few runs of it at UCB. And then most of it was at Union Hall in Brooklyn. They let me work it out there like once or twice a month there. I did that for almost two years, just like oh, qui really? okay. quietly under the radar, like trying to like, kind of like, it, it It was like the, it, it would, it would, it would like fill up, but I was glad because I wasn't like blowing it. You know, I was like, I have like bigger, I think this is going to turn into something. So yeah, Union Hall was the place that really like let me get up on my feet and, and, and cut my teeth with it. So it's so a lot of writing on its feet. Right. And then you record the sets and then, yeah. Yeah. And I have a notebook where if you like, if you saw it, you would think it's like the Unabomber wrote it. Cause it's just like all in a Sharpie and it's just like scattered thoughts. And, but that show is all about like suicide and stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot of like crash the car, like it's just like in Sharpie, it'll be like cra crash the car, ejaculate water. Like where it looks like a crazy person just got a hold of a notebook and a pen. So, yeah, I, I'm keeping that notebook for posterity and also for the humor value of like, it looks real. It looks like a crackpot wrote it, but that was the writing process mostly. <laughs> That's cool. Did the um, now did it as the show changed? Like even just from the run, like here at the what, the bleak. What is Bleak Forty Five Bleaker? Forty Five Bleaker. Yeah, the Lynn Redgrave Theater. Yeah, it has like there's definitely it's especially since it is kind of heavy. I'm always trying to find new jokes, and even last week I like put in two new jokes that worked. Where I'm like, oh, that's great. Like. Mm -hmm. When I've been doing it for two years, I'm still finding like two new jokes a week. I'll take that. I'll, right. I, I work at a slower pace than many. Many people would be dissatisfied with that, but for me, that's good. And the place that really changed it, though, was I went to that Edinburgh Festival, the Fringe Festival. Oh, you did it in Edinburgh. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I've done it twice. That's oh, a, my that's God. That's kind of a beating. That is a grind. Tell me about your experience there. Well, I was, I, I was, I, I, I think I was able to mentally hold it together. I had heard, like, I, I said I was doing Edinburgh, and like some people who had done it before were like, "Why, man? Like that is a tough, tough thing." And you know, it's twenty six nights in a row. And, and Kyle Kinane actually, Kyle Kinane saw my show at uh, Just for Laughs, and he sent me a message that was like, "Dude, why are you doing Edinburgh? Like, if you thought you wanted to kill yourself before, <laughs> wait till the end of that." That's the kind of encouragement you're looking for, big time. But I knew I was doing this. I knew I was doing the off-Broadway run. So I had it in my head that I was like, this is like, I, get, I just get to like pound this thing out 26 nights in a row in front of an audience that none of them, are, it's not going to burn any of the audience that might come see this. So I kind of had that in mind. And my director came out and met me in Edinburgh and, and like, she really like beat the shit out. Like we, I'd do the show every night. She'd watch it. We'd work for three or four hours every day on it. I'd listen to the audio from the night before, do it again. And we did that like something like 12 days in a row where it was just like boot camp. So wow. it's really hard, but it was like good to have a purpose. But that festival is nuts, huh? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a, uh, yeah, I, I remember doing it and it, you're just, it's kind of a shock to your system, especially at that point yeah. I've been touring a lot mm -hmm. in my life. And so it's like, at the very least, I get somewhat of an okay hotel room. Yeah. There it's like, find your own place to live, roommate, I lived in a college dorm with three other dudes. Really? Like, yeah. you, and you didn't know them? I knew one of them, Colt Cabana, who's this wrestler, good friend of mine. He's a pro wrestler, does comedy stuff, sweet dude. Yeah. Has a podcast. And then um, 
he he's really tight friends with this Australian comic named Brendan Burns. Do you know? Oh, Brendan? I know Brendan. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know Brendan beforehand, but I did a festival in Ireland. People were asked because all the Irish comic. I did. I also didn't know Edinburgh. Like, we're like America has its own entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there's this whole thing in Edinburgh where like a lot of those comics from the rest of the English speaking world go to Edinburgh to get try to get reviews and tour off of them. Like that's a huge thing. So I didn't know anything about it. And a lot of the Irish comics would ask me, "Oh, who are you living with?" And I would say, "Brendan." They'd be like, "You're that's not a ma- like that's a weird match because he's like this. He's like, a pretty intense dude. He's an intense yeah. talker, yeah, loud he's... energy. He drinks like four cans of Monster Energy drink a day, no yeah. joke. And so it was like me and him, and and another Australian comic named Craig Quartermain, who's a great guy, and Colt Cabana. And it was just a lot, man. It was a lot to get used to. So like a dorm, like two beds in a room kind of thing no it was it was four it was four separate rooms but like it it was it's college housing the rest of the year shared bathroom tiny little kitchen living room combo like it was a dorm yeah in a real way i had my own room though did you get caught up in reading your reviews or were they good i or? read every single review yeah i always I'm, meet I'm those not above that yeah i always meet those people i don't read my reviews okay well that's yeah. that's weird i'm sure you don't but i like, wish there's I could... posters with stars all over you're not looking you don't glance at the stars i mean i guess there are people but i, I just i mean i kind of just got so caught you know you check online to yeah google search and not much else to do yeah. like you can go see other shows and you can walk around but it's also like it's not like there's it's like you're gonna you're gonna check these. You're disconnected from the rest of your world, and you're doing your show. You're gonna read what people say about it. But I, since I'd been working on mine a long time, they invited all the reviewers to the first night of mine, which I think is rare. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, because they were like, then our reviews will come out first, and and luckily they were good. Like they were pretty. Yeah. Yeah, universally they they, I, they were good. But I mean, I'd been working on it a couple of years, so it felt nice. But but it was it was intense. Yeah, and then there's that other shitty thing where, like the other like. I think I think my name was like getting buzzed about because those early reviews, and then the, all these other comics started coming. Oh, like, that's cool! A, a lot of the English comics, and it was cool. But then I realized, oh, they're all the uh, they're all comics who are going to be like considered for these awards they give out, and they're like scouting me because they're like worried about these reviews I'm getting, and none of them have ever heard of me. So, and then when the list came out of who was nominated, I wasn't on it, and they all stopped coming. And I was like, oh, this is such a weird thing where it's all about like reviews and competition and. It's odd. It's really odd. Yeah, I remember being at like the, one of the festival bar, and the was it the, I can, what was it the place with the a oh god I forgot the name. Um, there's the Pleasance. There's uh, it begins with an A. Why am I not remembering it? Not Academy. Assembly Hall. Assembly Hall. Yeah, yeah there was like yeah, a yeah. main bar in there, and I was kind of like, wow, this is kind of a quainter L.A. as far as like cutthroat business. I was also not having a good time, so I was yeah. probably projecting some hate on them. Yeah. I was just like, this is just as vicious. I think like a quaint little festival, like just as cutthroat as anyone it else. Is. It is. Weird. Like that was what's nice to because my wife is, is a dancer and, and a musician. Mm-hmm. So when she came out, she came out about two weeks in and she was like, she did all this aerial theater where they like swing around from harnesses and that stuff's really big in Edinburgh. So I actually didn't see much comedy. I went and saw all this like crazy like daredevil-esque like oh that's fun. physical theater with my wife which was nice i like got off the comedy grid which was which was cool because it does it has that vibe like you said they also don't love americans i don't think i don't think they love the american style i think like oh really because a lot of them because i was doing this like narrative show yeah and i started getting a lot of comments that were like you're not like all the other american comics which i was like flattered by to a degree but also where i'm like there's nothing wrong with just like Make a crowd laugh and give them some punchlines. Like I don't. That's kind of like I think. I think maybe that's viewed as a little bit of like a 
pedestrian thing there. Like every show has to have a point and a narrative and mine did. So I was lucky, but I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I got criticized by one professional comedy expert who's like, <laughs> there's no through line or no overarching theme. It's like, well, it wasn't presented. Yeah. I didn't, there's no paragraph where it said, this is Todd's story of what this is happening. It's yeah. like, I'm just going to tell some jokes and then we're going to be done in an hour. Yeah. And like, that's I, like a comedy show. I did my show there because one of my agents saw it. He's like an LA based guy who doesn't see me all the time. And he saw it at Just for Laughs and he was like, this is an Edinburgh show. Like they're going to love this in Edinburgh. And I was like, I've heard Edinburgh can go terribly wrong. And he was like, they'll like this show. So I went out there kind of knowing this is, I didn't write it with that in mind, but I knew, okay, they're going to, Take it easy. But there was actually an article. There was an article, I think, in The Guardian that was basically like, what's wrong with all the American comics this year? There's a lot of many quotes from Ari Shafir being like, it was it made me laugh so hard reading Ari's quotes where he's like, yeah, we're Americans. We just want to make people laugh. Like, we don't need everybody to cry at the end of it. And then it said in parentheses, we guess no one told Chris Gethard. And I was like, oh, man, like, are now, are all the other Americans going to be mad? Because I get very anxious and paranoid. I was like, are the other Americans going to be mad at me because of that line? Like, I was like used as a pot shot against... Right. I mean, it also could have been somewhat lighthearted. I'm sure it was. I over. I but tend, I mean, I, I don't. We don't know each other so well. I tend to overthink everything. I think. Right. I think and that's you, very visible from the outside. But also, you, you know, you just hear that in like a UK accent, and it sounds much more cutting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Big time. Big Do you time. think that? Because I, I had heard that. I mean, I played over there a few times in London a few times, but I feel like they're not as open about like, hey, I go to therapy as we are in New York. Yeah. Or, I was. I was like. Uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to get because my thought was maybe with like a socialized healthcare system, it's just less of a barrier of entry there, but it turns out it's like way worse. Like, um, especially like New York, it's kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about on stage. And people were like, Oh, that's really brave. And literally everyone in New York is like 80% of New Yorkers are in therapy. Right. Like, no one cares here. And it's still hard. So there I had someone tell me like their husband had a gambling addiction and it was the best thing for them because they were unable to get, into therapy under the UK healthcare system, but because he had a gambling addiction, I guess a lot of like casinos and gambling sites have to fund oh, wow. mental health care for gambling. So they were able to like slip into so regular grandfather therapy. into there. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, it was great, but it was like, especially, you know what the other thing is? I talk a lot about like, I, I have a story in the show that I, I, where I talk about why I don't drink. Uh -huh. And in the States, I think it's generally regarded as one of the like funnier parts of the show, just like lock and load. Like this one's just take us through a thing and it hits a bunch of beats. And in the UK, it never played. And I had to start calling it out because I realized like this was a story to me. I frame it as like, here's a, here's a big, here's a story that kind of illustrates why I don't drink anymore. And in the States, it gets laughs. And in the UK, it would always fizzle at the end because you could feel them going like, wait, why? Like that made you... Right. It's you like quit drinking because like of that. Like, when you walk home from doing your show, you're going to see nine of those guys on the steps. Oh my God. People do. <laughs> I, my, my venue is about three blocks from my, my, my flat in, in Edinburgh. You'd see guys like passed out. You'd see people pissing on the streets, fist fighting each other in three blocks, like right. all the time. It was like, oh, this is nuts, man. Yeah, nuts. and a lot of them, sometimes you just see a guy like fully dressed up in a tie suit who's <laughs> clearly been ditched by his friends, mm -hmm. and he's just on a staircase, just... He's vomit on his yeah, tie. Yeah, just, just like, oh my God. Yeah, they go hard. They go hard. <laughs> by like day 20, like I was there for I think 30 days, by like day 23 or 24, I was like, this is, as a guy who is sober, mm -hmm. living in a college dorm room, Talking about suicide every night. This is getting, I need to go home, man. I need to go home. I'm tired of talking about this. 
Yeah, it's um. When was this last year? This was in August this year. Oh, okay, so I came home end of August and then started our run like a few weeks later here. So I'm kind of going insane talking about this stuff as much as I have. You mean on stage? What you're talking on about? stage? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I was actually going to ask you about that. Yeah, it's not cool. I thought I was really on top of it, man, and I'm definitely not. I one thing I've learned from doing the show, I'm not as on top of this stuff as I thought I was. On top of what, like what you talk about in the like show? all my all my depression stuff. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, I like analyze what it was like in the past, and it's like, oh no, if you like go up and tell strangers about this six times a week, it's gonna it's gonna come back. Like it's uh -huh. been crazy and all these people i grew up in jersey so i'm close enough that like all these people from my childhood are coming to see it and they all have stories and right my ex-girlfriend and like my aunts and uncles like all these people are seeing it and they're like oh i remember this time you like flipped out and then i'm like i don't oh, i don't want to hear any of this stuff man like yeah i was wondering if it was um head. if it was a thing because it's you probably you know Definitely want to talk about it sometimes, but then it's like, oh, I have to do it at 7.30 on yeah. Wednesday, regard, yeah. even if I don't want to. Yeah. Like I so mean, in some level, that's what show business is, because, you know, yeah. you get a part in a play or a movie and, you know, want to wake up early or whatever, something like that. But Yeah. I mean, I certainly can't complain. Yeah. I have an easy life. It's like I'm doing this thing that's been a well-received thing. I can't complain, but there is like, like I had, this was the most, the most messed up one was I have an ex-girlfriend who I mentioned in the show. Mm-hmm. And I speak very kindly of her and her kind of like stepping. She's the one who kind of stepped in and told my mom like, hey, you got to – there's stuff going on with him. He's not telling you. Like she's the one who stepped in. And I haven't seen her in 13 years. So we went out for dinner after the show. It was really nice. A lot of laughing. A lot of catching up. And then I was like, we haven't seen each other in 13 years. That's nuts. And like, I'm the one who's tried like usually anything like that, anything. She was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm like, usually I, that's like the only thing I, I'm not like responsible for. And she said, she's like, well, look, she's like, honestly, I always just kind of like assumed I was going to get a, a sad phone call about you someday. And I oh, didn't wow. want it to hurt more than it had to. And I was like, this is horrible. It's like, I'm trying to like put on a comedy show and be honest. And instead of hearing from this person from my past that she didn't talk to me because she thought I was going to kill myself. Like, oh, this is horrible. And then you just think about that for four days, you know? And you also think like, isn't that more reason to talk to me? Yeah, you would think so. But I think, she, I, put, I mean, she's someone who I'm particular pushed right to the right to the end of a rope but it was like oh man this is not the this is not the best I, I really do i really do look forward to getting back to just telling some jokes you know yeah i really look back i'm I'm looking for i i like i'm seeing the end in sight i'm like doing my show until january 8th and then we're doing it in london for two weeks and then i think it's done and they want me to tour it around and stuff and i'm like i think i can I think based on the reviews and stuff could probably go tour around and make some money but like i, I don't even know if it's cool at this point like I kind of want to just not, I just want to maybe go back to telling some of my old jokes right. about like, what's the apocalypse going to be like? Here's a funny story about my dad. Like, I'm really looking forward to getting back to that. So know? when you found out it was extended, that must have been, a, was that bittersweet? Double-edged sword. For, well, I had been doing it eight times a week and I was like, I can't. So they were like, what about six? And I was like, fine, fine. I, I, I can do that. And even that's been hard. But eight times a week, it was like, oh, this is bonkers, man. This is bonkers. Does your particular mood... Or how you're feeling before the show? Does that af affect the show? Or is it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it, that's an astute question. Definitely, if I'm like feeling really down, my girlfriend came up with that question. Full oh, disclosure. Nice. Oh, very nice. I was last last because she went to the show. Yes, I'll come up with some questions. She's very kind. <laughs> a very good question. Yeah, I mean, def there's definitely parts where if I am if I'm feeling kind of fucked up that day or that week, 
where I think the emotions of it come through in a very real way where it's very clear like, oh, this guy is not like summoning this. This is not, this is not acting or putting it on. There's been a couple of times on stage where I like start talking about it and it really is clear. And there's been a handful of times where it's so pronounced that I have to actually say, I think you can tell maybe I've been dealing with that today or this Mm -hmm. week or whatever, just to kind of, because I think people can even maybe get a little freaked out, but it's all true. It's all true. You know, it's all true. It's like, it's weird. It's weird. It's also like, it's like, yeah, it's just hard. And and then there's also that side of things too, which is when it gets reviewed in like the New York theater publications, the crowds that show up aren't like the first three weeks was just like comedy fans. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. Like it's a different, Mindset were like, oh, that's Chris. Yeah, we know Chris. Yeah. As opposed to, I don't know anything about this person. But I read about it in the Times. And like, how can I get invested in the story? Yeah. It seems like it'd be more challenging to get them invested. Very much so. And then also, like, they don't laugh as much. There was like one one show about a month or maybe four or five weeks in where like they weren't laughing the whole time. And I'm like, oh my God, like, bombing with this material is like a particular brand of loneliness you know when it's like the most personal thing you've ever talked about and it's being met with silence it's like oh this is even worse than bombing and then at the end they gave it a standing ovation i was like what like i was like mad in my head i'm like you guys hated this like don't stand up and then the producers were like no like these guys read about it in the new yorker or or whatever like they're not comedy fans. They probably don't even sense that some of those jokes are supposed to be jokes. And I'm like, oh, like, is this, am I even being a comedian at this point? Like, I'm right. already, I already have so much insecurity about, am I a real comedian that to like invite more into my life? I'm like, oh God, oh God. That is, that's happened to me where you have that audience where you're kind of like, I remember I did, have you done Australia by any chance? No, I really want to. Yeah, that's great. Festival. But I remember like my last show of the year was of the run. It was like a month. And then they were kind of like, are you guys having a good time? (laughs) Like, you're kind of (laughs) like, maybe I shouldn't come. And then at the end, it was like that Bravo, like, oh, okay. You're you're, you're a theater crowd. It's odd. Yeah. Was that at the, they have a fringe out there, right? Yeah, it's Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yeah, it's much less of a a grind than that. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And I hear that they're big comedy. I I hear like they really embrace it. Yeah, it's good. It's cool. I got to get out there. Yeah. Gotta get out there. Do another two weeks or something there, man. I would love it. I would love to see Australia. Do you um what was I gonna oh, I know I was gonna ask you. Did uh so the Barb who you talk about on the show. Yeah. Do you still see her? I do. Okay. Saw her on Monday. Yeah? Yeah. Is she a a psychologist or a psychiatrist? She's actually a nurse practitioner, which is like another corner of the uh of the psychotherapy world. Really? I didn't know yeah. that. And it's a, I think they're a little bit viewed as kind of like this renegade wing. I think, I think I've gotten a sense that some, maybe some other types of like psychiatrists and psychologists maybe say like, Hey, you didn't have to train as much as us. And that's not yeah. cool. Like, I think they're known for being a little bit more of like the, uh, the fringe, but I like it as I talk about. So she saw the show. She yeah. didn't saw it. Didn't love it. Really? Yeah, I mean, I make, yeah, I, you do. I say some harsh things. But I thought you'd sort of cleared that stuff with her. I did. To and a certain it, extent. She had a she had like a, a thing where she's like, I get like, I get that it's true. I get that you're a comedian. You're exaggerating a lot. You're leaving out the context of a lot for humor, and I'm okay with it. But then when she saw it, I think she had an emotional reaction. But then some friends of hers have also seen it, and it calmed her. Like she she said, one of her other patients saw it, and a friend, <laughs> a guy who she like grew up with, saw it and came up to me after the show and was like, "You man, that you like nailed her essence so hard." And I think it's making her realize like. Maybe there's a middle ground where it's very clear I'm exaggerating, but I'm also not like, I'm also not trying to attack her. Or look no, you don't her. seem like you're attacking. It's, it's, it sounds like, uh, you know, 
I love her. She's an odd one, but yeah. I love her overall. That's the yeah. takeaway from that for me anyway. When she told me she was seeing the show and she didn't ask, she was like, I bought tickets. And I was like, oh God. And, but I told her, and I think this will make sense. You haven't seen it. I was like, just don't walk out. Like the first half of the show, you're going to hate me. But I was like, if you <laughs> stay to the end, it's all about you. It's like all about how much I admire why you, the way you handled things with me. So she managed, she stayed the whole time and I think she gets it, but she was, she was pretty, she's pretty, uh, taken aback in the initial, in the initial aftermath of it. Do you go see her in person or do you call her? No, it's on Skype. On Skype. Cause she lives in Mexico. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She, she li still lives in Mexico. She still lives in Mexico and she, I'll just like go on Skype and she, I'll dial her. She, I'll, she picks up. She's just literally swinging around in a hammock and talks to me. She's <laughs> like, I, my, my, I literally pay money for someone to sit in the hammock and give me life advice. Does she ask you, um, does she ever monitor, like look for feedback? Like, are, do you enjoy talking to me? Cause I've, I've been to therapy and sometimes yeah. they'll do that. They'll go, what do you think of this? Yeah. Session? She know. I think she knows that I really enjoy her. Yeah. I thought you were going to ask the other thing, which is she has read every review of the show. Oh really? And some of those are like this, this unethical crackpot that, and it, she's like, that gets her really mad. But I'm like, I'm not saying that. Yeah. That's, seems... I'm not the one saying that they're saying that. So that's been weird. We've definitely had sessions where like big chunks of them have been both of us reassuring each other about this show. It probably is not the best thing in the world for our relationship that I've written a one man show largely about her. Yeah. Probably should see another shrink. I would imagine by the letter of the law. But yeah, I was wondering about that, like whether it affects, it clouds, like, hey, can we talk about other shit or do we have to talk about the show I wrote about? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely, there's some elements of that, some um, elements of that. So she does, so she's just a nurse practice, so she, can she write prescriptions? She can. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, she can. I think that's like, that. that's like, I think that's like the, and I might be misquoting this completely, so if I am, I apologize, but... I think nurse practitioner is like you train as a nurse, get to a point where you can can prescribe. That's part of the deal. And then you can like pick a focus and some of them go into like physical therapy. Some of them like will train at mental health clinics uh -huh. and, and, and you kind of like pick a field afterwards. But a lot of it is like on the ground training where you're in the actual field doing it hands on. And then you start a practice when you're done with that. Right. But it's pretty, it's pretty weird, man. And I've had other, other people... I've had like psychiatrists who see my show and guess like, is she a nurse practitioner? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, they're always, they're always the weirdest ones. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Right. Maybe they're not regulated as much as far as like, yeah, I don't think you, so. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about this. But you had that one therapist you talked about who kind of was oh, a jerk, yeah. but you saw him for two years. Yeah. About that. About was there, that. was it a thing like in T like the whole time where you're like, this is something doesn't feel right. Or was it kind of like, did it? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'll tell you this too. Like, as far as the writing goes, it was actually it's just too uh, it's like too much to explain in the show. That's actually an amount. There were two guys. I had like a, a therapist and a psychiatrist at that same clinic, uh -huh. and they were both just these like stiffs. And I, they, it was a very you know they worked hand in hand with each other. So I just refer to them as one guy in the show, which I hope I'm not like ruining the magic for you, Todd. What is that? What's that word? Conk, conk, conk. When you can combine two things, conflate, no, combine. We can, we'll just coagulate. No, I'll, I'll think uh, of it later. Once you're gone, I'll think. Composite. Of it. Composite. There yes, you composite. go. Composite. Yeah, it's a composite. But yeah, they're both. This clinic just had so many rules, and the talk therapist was just like, "So, uh, have you ever thought about 
your like everything was in that tone. What's your love life like? Why do you find it so hard to connect with people? And it was like, dude, this is not. I like if we were in a bar together, I'd be falling asleep trying to talk to you. And then the the psychiatrist who prescribed the pills was even worse. He was just like so looking down his nose at everything and it was bad it was bad it was it, a bad experience but because like why do you think people like that why would you get into a, a compassion business do you think that it just turns out to be more of a grind than they think it is or i'm sure and i also bet like i also bet they have patients who love them and i'm sure barb has patients who hate her and never come back but it's like so much of it's personality based too i bet there's people like those guys were kind of stiffs but i bet i bet there's people out there who are maybe stiffs in their own right or live a life that has a lot more in common with them mm -hmm. and uh they really click but for me i was like man i am like this very insecure guy who's prone to large emotions maybe i don't need to see like a real buttoned up shrink in verona new jersey like maybe that's not the best when i'm like really trying i'm like a kid who at that point, I was already coming into the city to do comedy and going to punk rock shows. Like maybe this is just not the guy for me. And I think I think I'm sure that I'm sure that clinic has many patients who give it a big thumbs up. Not me. No way. No you way. needed someone a little scrappier. Yeah, I think so. I think I needed someone who's <laughs> going to get in the trenches with me, and someone someone who's like a little visibly weird in her own right. So I knew I wasn't being judged. Is she um is she expensive? Does your insurance cover it? My insurance did not. I, I get the SAG insurance. Yeah, me too. So I had the tier two, which yeah. is the worst one. That's probably what I have. Yeah, that didn't cover it. Now I'm on plan one, so I think it does, but I have to fill out a lot of paperwork and like claim it afterwards. Yeah, that's yeah, this is going to get too boring. Very, but Very hard. But uh, yeah, they, you have to like, I have to submit every claim, and then they're like, they may or may not get to it. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of that. So either you're like it's out a lot, a lot of money or you're out not quite as much money. Yeah. Do you... um? How do you feel about, like, are you someone who will unload, not unload, but will you open up to people quickly? Like if something's like, something's really bothering you and you're sort of sitting with an acquaintance and they go, how's it go? Will you just let it rip or will you be like, I'm all right. I think I'm more of the second one. Yeah. I think my wife gets mad at me because in my mind, I'm like part of why I see a shrink is so I don't have to bother anybody else with that. And uh -huh. in my mind, that's like. I'm clearing out this stuff so that the rest of my relationships don't have to be affected by right. the dumpster fire of my emotions. You know what I mean? Like, and I think my wife is a little bit like, I would like to hear about it. I would love to be there for you. And I'm like, Ugh. but I, I do have a very close, I think in general, I'm kind of like, Ugh. you know, there's a few people I'll open up to, but in general, I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'll handle it. And then let me just go unload on this lady on Skype in a hammock and see if I can just get it out of my system there and process it. And, I just have to be really careful because if I'm upset about something, I tend to get very upset about it. You know, uh -huh. if I get down on myself, I tend to get very down. And like same thing, even with like, if like if I'm if I'm like psyched about something, I tend to be very psyched. So I try to, but I think all of those are dangerous in their own way. So I just kind of try to like remain in a, a little bit of a relaxed middle, and I've learned that that's that's a good goal for me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How about you? How about you? I'm, uh, I can, you know, if you catch me at the either wrong or right time, depending on how you like talking about, but I will like, if, if I'm with someone and I just, something's really on my mind and I see any sort of opening to like, yeah, I wonder if what their take is on this, then I might let it go and yeah. like, I might let it out. And then I, you know, sometimes I feel like either that's the wrong thing to do or maybe more people should do that because yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, you don't want to like suddenly dump something on there where people are like, holy shit, this, yeah. this dude's having a meltdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, but sometimes it is good. Some people are really like, oh, let's talk about this. And, yeah. And uh, they sort of yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, I I like I don't mind sinking my teeth into something like that. Although sometimes I think people assume because I do this show or am pretty honest that I get like Facebook messages from strangers. They're like, "Hey man, so I was abused when I was and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just do a show like I know it's a more personal thing, but like, whoa, whoa, right. whoa." So I get a lot of that, and that's not the best. No, you don't want to be best. like it's like, "Hey, I just did the show. I'm kind of just I'm eating some pizza right now. That was kind of like the show you saw was kind of what I had to say about all of it. So right. it wasn't necessarily an invitation to a, uh, that wasn't an, I'd like to think having seen the show, I think you'd agree. Like, I'd like to think that was maybe closure, not, Hey, here's, I'm going to open this door a little bit so you can kick it further. Right. It wasn't open. a, it wasn't a sample. This is just the beginning of, <laughs> of how much we could talk about problems. Yeah. Big time. Did, um, shit, I was just going to ask you something. Do you, uh, you have a podcast. I listened to it uh -huh. on, before you got here. How long have you been doing that? I think we're coming up on a year. Yeah? Yeah. That's pretty... Is it always phone calls? Always one phone call an episode. I can't hang up. That's the idea, yeah. Oh. So it's like an hour long. They don't tell me who they are. They can talk about whatever they want, and I can't hang up for an hour. Really? It's been pretty fun. I thought it was going to be a lot of kids like pranking me and like people being like, you can't hang up, dickhead, and instead it's people who are like... Hey, so this heavy thing happened in my life, and I just want to tell somebody. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I listened to the one about the woman who got out of the cult. That I was liked pretty that intense. One. Yeah, I liked that one. Did, that was um, one of the more intense ones. Yeah, it was, it was quite intense. Did you? Um, <laughs> did uh, again so, not comedy? Another someone, project right. I've wound up in where yeah, this is the most bummed out I'm episode not. of my podcast. No, it's fine. The um, do you do you vet the calls, or is does someone else screen no, them, or is it? We have a, I tweet out the number and then calls start coming in and the producer just picks up and he'll talk to like three or four people and just be like, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? How, what do you want to talk about? And only to make sure, like to make sure that like the phone connection is good and that they have some energy and uh -huh. that it's a clear call. And then he just patches them through and then we just go. Wow. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. How often do you do that? Once a week. Once, Once a week. week. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, it's fun. What do you, do you prep for going back to your live show? Do you, do you have like a pre-show ritual or anything or not too much of one i just try to show up early and just try to like shut shut out the world for like an hour or so and sometimes they have a sad cot have you ever heard of an equity cot i didn't um, know about these before i started i don't i don't know no i haven't heard of an equity cot. i guess if 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 an equity production is happening at a theater they have to have a cot for the people to sleep on <laughs> in case you're at the theater for a long time <laughs> So they have these very sad cots, and they put a cot in my dressing room, and sometimes I'll lay down on the equity cot. But it's like a hunting cot, like it's like a piece of fabric strung up on some aluminum, and it's sad. It's, so that's that sometimes is my pre-show ritual, is just sleep on a sad cot. So you don't, like the show's pretty locked in, you don't like, oh, I gotta go over it, because I, I don't want to forget something. No, not at this point. And I'll listen back, I still record it a lot, listen back a lot, and if... If I have new jokes, I'm always I, t I have, always have paper back there that I'm like scribbling the new jokes in and, uh -huh. and trying or like if there's an, a section my director has been like, hey, this part needs tightening or you need to find some other this this point's not coming across. But it'll be like section by section I'll be working on the show. But the overall thing now it's like just too massive to sit down and try to like read through it or listen through it every day right before the show. It's just too much. Just too much. Yeah. Do you um? I noticed a 
the lighting was really cool, like super subtle light changes. Thanks. And, yeah. Am I wrong to say that? No, it's like it's one of those things. I was glad like this director we got is like a for real theater director, uh -huh. and uh, she like really pushed everything hard, and it feels good. It feels good. Like I really do feel like man, like I'm like I can just write the stories and hope they're funny. And then she really, really affected all that stuff. And I was like, oh, I can feel that this is like a different thing than I've done before. And a lot of it is because of that. There's like a set that had some thought put into it, some lighting changes that like have actual intent and then it helps. It's like, oh, this is weird and cool. And Yeah, because they were, for the most part, they were like, oh, they, the lights slightly changed. And you knew it was for a reason. Yeah. But it wasn't like blue to, to red or something no. like that. It's like a lot of it. I can, it's like a lot of it is like I'll start to talk about something where I know, oh, I get really mad by the end of this, and I can feel the lights are kind of like creeping now, so that they're going to be set up for when it gets really like like. There's a section where I get very mad at my doctor, mm -hmm. and that section is a part that always hits. And I think like the lights about 45 seconds before it gets pretty intense, the lights start changing, and like they kind of land where they need to right when it gets intense. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I don't think that way. I'm glad that my director is that does. the idea to sort of like temper it a little bit or make I think like kind of like you know show some difference between like when it's just me pontificating and when it's me maybe like trying to relive some emotions from back then and and uh it helps me kind of lock into that side too it's not like the easiest thing to like get on stage and act when I've spent many years only wanting to like get one reaction you know you get yeah. laughs like that's the reaction that I want and then some of the reactions in, in this one, it's just it's just going to be different based on the nature of the material. So it kind of, I think, helps me get to a place where I'm like, oh, the lighting is different. And now I can maybe like, they're expecting something different. I can take a little bit of a breath. If I don't get a laugh for a few minutes, that's okay here. So it's like, it's all a mental game, right? Did, is there any talk of like making it a movie or anything? Or? I haven't, no, I haven't gotten, my manager has been like, you need to think of like the series pitch for this. There's like yeah. stuff like that. But I'm like, I don't know. I just kind of want to, I think I need to be done with this first. I think I need to get done with the grind of like, take the F train from my house, tell a giant room of strangers about a time I crashed a car on purpose and then mm -hmm. go home. Like, I think we need to, I think I just need to get through that. And that is the phrasing I would use, get through. At this point, I'm like, every day that gets closer to the end of the run, I'm like, okay, okay, this many more. Like it was, I'm very proud of it, but it was a lot. It was, it was more to take on than I anticipated for sure. For I, sure. Yeah. How did Judd Apatow get involved? I don't really know how he heard about it, but he was he when he was here with Schumer that summer. He was doing stand up constantly. I'm sure you were like mm -hmm. running into him and stuff. And I did Whiplash one night, and I had met him once or twice, and he'd always been very nice. And uh, and he said he was like, I hear you're doing like a really dark show. Is there any way for me to see it? And I just videotaped it, like maybe two weeks prior. I was like, oh, I actually taped a really recent one. And I sent it to him. And then for months, he would like, out of the blue, I'd get an email or a call and he'd be like, hey, like, I was thinking you should like have a joke like this or like, or this part is like kind of working, but I bet if you like cut it and it, and he was just like giving me, no, and I was like, whoa, like if you're doing comedy, that's also like kind of emotional on top of it. There's nobody better. You know, Judd Apatow is known for that. Like yeah, kind of kind like of combines the two and like carved that. That's like kind of his thing. You know what I mean? So, um, it just hit that point. And then he was in, he was in New York, uh, months ago and he asked me to like meet up with him for lunch and we met up and he was like you're a really bad businessman huh and I was like terrible I'm like I'm really bad at it and he's like okay maybe I can maybe I can help you with that end of things too if you want why and did he assume you're a bad businessman because I just like he'd ask me what's your plan with the show and I'd be like I don't know 
like keep doing it at Union Hall. I get like I don't know like, uh, and he'd be like, no, like this is if you're gonna work this hard on something this specific, like let's figure it out. Let's try to let's try to get it out there. See what we can do with it. So it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Where'd you go for lunch? We went to the Soho House. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Never been there before. Yeah, I've been there. Uh, was yeah. Okay, I assumed you had been, man. But you're you're. Uh, I'm not a member or anything. It's not like hey, I've been there, but I've been there like twice, man. Yeah, it's pretty nice in there. Yeah, it's got it's got a, it's got its little private thing going. Yeah, you feel cool. You feel cool that it's like a thing. To <laughs> check in at the front desk. Now I read. Didn't you write an article for New York Magazine about staying in New York? I did. Yeah. I remember, that just popped in my head. Yeah. And is that something you're still uh, adamant about, or? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I'm adamant. It's just, it's like, I've never totally bought into the, like, here's a lot of it too. Cause I, I tend to get like pretty mild mannered dude, but like get angry about stuff. And I had, I once had a fr this guy who was a friend of mine and he moved to LA and I remember like, I saw him out there. I was like out there on some business. I don't know if it was like a acting thing or meetings or whatever dumb thing it was. And we got dinner and he was like, dude, I'm just going to say this. If you don't move to LA, you're not taking your career seriously. And I was like, like first I was like, and instantly in my head, I was like, I've worked so much harder than you have. I've done more than you have. There's no way I can just sit here and let you tell me that I'm not taking myself seriously. And instead of just saying that to him, uh -huh. I was like, I'm not leaving New York until something proves to me that LA is better. And I'm doing fine in New York. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of people do fine in New York. A lot of people do great in New York. Not just me and Amy Schumer. Although you're doing great. <laughs> I'm doing you're, okay. you're doing great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely. I mean, I sort of see. I mean, the way he said it was kind of ridiculous, I think. It was rude. And after we stop, I'll find out who that was. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you know. Yeah. It's from a different But to say, like, you have to live in L.A. It's like, yeah, it's like just because you do. You weren't saying that eight months ago when you lived in New York. Right. I kind of want to, like. First of all, my family and my wife's family are all around here. I like I I, I don't want to have to like I like the idea that if I'm hung if I can't sleep at three in the morning and I'm hungry I can just walk out my front door and within eight minutes I'll have a sandwich at right. three in the morning like yeah. I just I just like it here and I don't know I I also I don't know I don't I don't I don't want to live in a place where like the weather's the same every day and it's just kind of easier like I get that there's more jobs there I get I could probably like go audition for more jobs there and it probably would be easier. But I don't know if I think easy is like a – I don't know if I hold that up as like, oh, easy is a thing you should look for. Right. But don't you think also that it might be more bad opportunities? Well, that I'll never forget. One of the eye-opening things for me was I read some interview that Eugene did, Eugene Merman. Mm -hmm. And I remember like the interviewer was like, you'd like you'd, – you'd do so great out there. Like I guess I just don't get why you haven't ever given it a shot. And he was like, well, what do you think would happen to me if – to LA and they're like I bet you'd get so many jobs and he's like yeah but they're not jobs I want right and I remember reading that and I was like oh you're you're allowed you're allowed to think that right those aren't jobs I, I don't watch sitcoms I don't know if I necessarily want to be on one if someone said we really want you on one and I read it and I was like this seems like it's a cool thing Sure, but it's not something I need to move 3,000 miles away to right. try to do because if you're creating your own content not to be all the guy who says that but as opposed to just, I want to get on TV. It's yeah. a big difference. Yeah, and, and big time. And I think I've like had to both, because it was, I mean, 
it was not the easiest being at UCB. It was so fun. But being at UCB when it became what it was uh-huh. and seeing all my friends go and get those jobs and then being like, man, I'm not getting them. For years it messed me up, but it was like, oh, no. And instead I feel like I, what I've done is I've made my own stuff and I feel like it's just a much better fit for me. And I'm, I, I like know I'm happier doing what I'm doing than I would have if when I was 27 I got one of those jobs that my friends were getting. I just know I'm more psyched doing the stuff I'm doing. So Right, and there's plenty of people. I mean, I've met and know who are way, make way more money than I do who are not fucking happy. Yeah, and some, <laughs> some, infam- and some people from New York who went out there and became stars – in a big way, that, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you will know some of the same people I'm referring to, but like who then they'd come back to New York, New York to do shows and be visibly miserable, visibly like you, some of those people who would go to L.A. and be met with very visible success, and then they'd come back, you'd see them in the rooms, and it was like, oh, they're now just like sitting in the back with their headphones in because they don't even want to talk to anybody, and they look so tired, and they seem so mad. What are they? What are they mad at? Though I mean, I'm a little just life. It just seems like man, like you went out there and you're so wealthy and you're right, miserable. Right, right. You yeah. went and you did it and you got everything you wanted and you have more money than I'll ever see and you're just visibly mad and sad and it didn't do yeah. what you thought it was gonna do. I mean, I like it out there, but it it is it's lonelier, man. Yeah, like just it seems like it's a real scramble. Like it's a lot of I feel like a lot of pressure, like. Like here, I go eat alone two, three times a day, and yeah, uh, same, same. <laughs> and then uh, there, I guess I do it also, but I feel lonelier when I do it there because you feel like I have all this list of friends, and like, and then you're like texting and like waiting. Look, now do I text another person about lunch, or do I have to give this yeah. person twenty minutes to get back? Ugh, yeah, it's a. And when you're eating alone in New York, that means you're just like walking through a neighborhood, and you're like, oh, that place looks good. Yeah. Let me try that. And in LA, that means you had to like get in a car. Drive somewhere, maybe pay a guy to park your car for yeah. you, also you could eat soup alone, like it just feels weirder. I mean Uber has made it a lot easier it's but, true but do you uh, feel do you feel like any because you I feel like you're like a New York like I think people look at me now as like, oh, that guy's never leaving, and I'm like, I might someday, yeah, but I feel like you're an, a similarly people look at you as a New York guy, like do you feel that pressure yeah or? i I don't feel like pressure. Like I, if I wanted to move, I would just. I'm not going to be like, sorry, everyone who thought I was a New York yeah, guy, yeah, I'm yeah. out of here. Because I, I think who cares? I mean, people should live where they want to live. But it's yeah. just like right now, it's just like it's where I want to live, and it's a, certainly a challenging city. And I could yeah. have ten times the space I have <laughs> for what I'm paying, but even in L.A., but maybe six times the space. Yeah, but. You know, every time I'm in LA and like you get in the car and you're like the traffic jam, I was like, oh no, every day, no, I can't do yeah. this. Yeah, and you're doing great. You're I know. Great Cut to three months when we're both like, hey, <laughs> you know, a realtor in LA because I'm, yeah. oh yeah, I'm moving there too. Man. We're roommates off of La Cienega. <laughs> do do you, you remember the first time we spoke? Have we ever talked about this? No, it was this we awkward? got in a fight. Seriously, Not a fight. You were, I was like young. Oh man, this is this is. Exclusive. Well, I don't think. Well, I don't think it was a fight. I think. Okay. I hope it wasn't a fight. No, I think I, I like immediately put my foot in the mouth because your coaster, your clash coaster, reminded me of this. Is that I was at Rafifi one night, uh-huh. which is kind of the first place where I like stepped out. For I think for a lot of people, that was where a lot of the UCB people first actually like stepped out into solo performing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we were there one night, and we wound up in the same conversation. 
and someone brought up that I really like the Smiths and you really like the Clash. Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake of saying, and this is something that I've since thought long and hard about. And actually, as recent, I've only been with my wife for a few years and I've brought up this conversation of, that I had with you to her because she's very knowledgeable with music, especially punk. I made the mistake of saying in front of you that I found the Clash a little overrated. And you were like, locked and loaded. You were like, what did you just say? Really? And I admire, I mean, like, dude, like, if you listen to, it's Medium Energy that you recorded at UCB, right? Yeah, I just. Dude, my laugh is all over that. Okay. Like, I was a fan of yours, and I was like, oh, no, I pissed off Todd That's weird, Harry. because, I mean. Oh, no. I just, I'm pretty, like, tolerant about, like, you like, and also the Smiths are a great band. So the it's, Clash is, too. And I later, my wife later explains to me. She was like, look, she's like, you have to remember that, like, because yeah. you weren't, like, you weren't there when the Clash were like dropping their albums, and everybody was like, "Oh my God!" You only know their full cat. You started with their full catalog, which does include some of the weird world music stuff, and and you heard like single. You're not supposed to listen to the Clash as a best of. You're supposed to listen album by album and be like, "Oh man, this is right." They're dropping bombs with each album. And I was like, I get that. I've since rescinded my Clash's overrated claim. Well, good news, that wasn't a fight. It wasn't. <laughs> no, I, I, think, I can't imagine getting like that upset over. You weren't that upset. Right. I think I think, uh, I think I was very nervous, wanted you to like me because I, so, I was a fan. Yeah. And then um, the very first thing I said to you, you were like, what? And then I think you were also just kind of like feeling it out in a way where yeah. I was like, I just spent the whole time in my head like, I wish I hadn't, I just wish I hadn't said that. Because I don't feel totally. Nah, you can you can you can talk about other problems with Barb, but you don't need to talk about the covers. <laughs> I'm that, glad. Trust I can me, that's clean get slate. Get that one off my. Uh... That was also maybe. I mean, maybe 2004. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered since then. I've always had a quiet wonder since then. If you were, it's weird. Like I get were... apologies from people, like, <laughs> and it's never the apology I want. It's always like that's what you're apologizing for. I don't give a shit <laughs> that you like the Smiths. I like the Smith. I mean, but or you know, some guy. Some guy apologized to me in San Francisco because he thought that, I don't know, he's like, I reached out to shake his hand and he like moved his hand, but it was a miscommunication. Yeah. He wasn't like icing me or something. And he paused like, I don't even remember that. It's like, this guy, this, you've been sitting on this for three years? And it's like, wow. like I don't even know you. It's like, believe yeah. me, you're forgiven. I did the same thing though. Yeah. I like, I I felt like I had committed a faux pas and I I, I had wor- I worried for a long time. I didn't know where you were headed with that story. I was like, am I just the guy? Am I the guy in Todd's head now that said the clash was over? <laughs> no, I, I don't even no, that wouldn't no. No. That was not a fight. Maybe someday we'll get in a fight though. Wow. But not over a band. No. Wow. In a good band. Yeah. I think I don't think I think I'm a late bloomer to the Smiths. Like I'd still they're one of those bands I just didn't explore as much, but yeah. lately I've explored them more, and they're great. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Funnier than people. People think of them as this very maudlin band, uh-huh. but it's definitely like funnier and also a little bit more like like a lot of a lot of lyrics like, I'll kick you in the eye or I'll smash every tooth in your head. Like for a band that's regarded as this like maudlin feminine band, it's actually like pretty tough and pretty funny like yeah i think a lot of the darker like even like bell and sebastian are probably are actually kind of funny like their album yeah. titles are kind of funny yeah to me. I, I have a weird thing with bell and sebastian because they get compared so often to the smiths uh-huh and that is a thing where i'm like don't do like let them stand on their own merit yeah i don't think they're a lot of people are like oh they're the new smiths and i'm like well now i'm gonna listen to them and judge them against a band that i'm obsessed with this isn't fair to anybody 
And I would, I mean, I sort of, like, I imagine someone who likes Bell and Sebastian would also like the Smiths, but I don't think, oh, oh my God, it's like such a clear influence. I don't think. When I listened to them, I was expecting one thing and I was like, this isn't the Smiths. And I'm like, well, wait, I have to not be a maniac and just compare them. I can't get angry at them because people say they're like the Smiths. That's a weird logic leap that I need to resist. (laughs) Um... Well, I'm just trying to think. We maybe should end with that big story of us getting in a big fight. Yeah. That was fucking, I fucking remember that, man. That was, and <laughs> you were the guy. Get I the also, guy. I'm so psyched to be, I don't know if you know this. I was the, uh, the night at UCB that you recorded your album. Yeah. I was, I was working there that night and I was like, they made me go on and tell the crowd, Hey, you got to, uh, if you have a cell phone, turn it off. Was there even get cell phones around that? I, I think it would be okay. early, it was early days, but I think it was like, Hey, like. I was basically the guy that was like, don't fucking get up and use the bathroom unless you really have to. Like, right. they gave me the big spiel, and I was like, me? Really? I was like, I was, uh, I was, I was starting out there, a young buck trying to cut my teeth in the UCB world. <laughs> have you, uh, have you had, do people, have you, do people film at like a theater show? I mean, I know there are, there are incidents, but like at your show, I guess, specifically. Have you had anything? No, I mean, I've had, People will text. I don't know if anybody's recorded me. Yeah. But it's tough because that's a theater where it's dark. And it's like, if you if your phone goes on, I just see the glow. No, it's wrong for them to text. There was someone sitting, you know, that whole front row is like couches. And she, there was someone texting in one of those. And I was like, it took like everything I had to not just go into full on attack mode. It's just, it's, to me, when I hear that, so I get all angry. Because it's like, yeah. you're not only doing that at a show, you're doing it in a theater and you're doing it at the front row of the theater? Yeah. And like, and I feel this thing too where I'm like, man, the, uh, like 95% of this crowd probably doesn't notice this. And I'm here talking about this thing that's like trying to make them sad. And if I, if I start attacking this person in the way I want to, it's just going to throw the balance of everything off. Did, and would it, could someone from the theater go over there and handle it or? With that, I asked what, them. I, I like now. Now they make a, an announcement before the show. Don't use your cell phones. No texting. Please turn them off at least on airplane mode, which I hate because I'm like, I don't like that my show effectively starts with like this big clunky list of rules. Like I thought it was cooler to not do that, but people couldn't couldn't do it. Couldn't I sit through like good, eighty minutes without yeah. texting. The thing about the rules, I think, is that the people who you want on your show will be like, oh, I like these rules. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. they're not going to go, hey, you scolded me. And it, gi- like, and it gives them a little freedom more that when people take out their phones, I think other people will be like, put it, I think it gives them a little bit of permission to police. Did you get it on the crowd work tour a lot? I bet people tried to tape that a lot. Um, Not a lot. Those crowds are, my crowds, when I get my crowd, they're usually angels for the yeah. most part. And it, like, and it's great because then if someone is a jerk, Everyone is against them pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that's why yeah. I try to avoid like chain comedy clubs where they, they just throw people in there. Yeah. But I think here's a good line. If someone texts during the show, you go, as you can tell, I'm sad, but you know what makes me really sad? That you're texting from the front row. Yeah. Take that line. I get that. I I, I had one that I think you would enjoy. What was that? Because I also know, and I think this is a thing that you ha- maybe maybe did Maybe this was a line, but to me, the first time I saw it, it made my brain explode. The first time I watched you like interact with someone in the crowd and shut them down and then pause and then say, I just destroyed you. <laughs> yeah. That was like a classic Todd <laughs> line. 
the first time I saw that, I mean, every time I saw it, it was always funny, but the first time I was like, oh my God. And the 80th time when you realize, oh, it, it's something he does. Yeah. And then you're like, this is not that's funny. No, I mean, but still, where I was like, oh, that's so funny to have a thing in your set that appears. Like, definitely a thing where I was like, oh, you can do that too. You can, like, you can have those set pieces too. Just eye opening. But I did have someone who their alarm went off, the very distinctive iPhone alarm, where it wasn't their phone, but they had set the alarm in for it. Yeah. And I did have the line where I was like, oh. And you heard people start to, like, bristle at them. And I was like, no, it's okay. Like, he's just, uh, that guy just had to, uh, I'm glad he set off his alarm to make sure he wouldn't miss the show that he's currently attending. And that got a, right. that was a big laugh. Where I implied, hey, you set your alarm for the wrong time, buddy, because why else would you set it except to come here? That one got a laugh. Um, well, Chris, when's your show? Your show's through January 8th? Yeah, January 8th, and then in London at the end of January. At the Soho Theater. Soho Theater. You excited Theater. about that? Never been, but I hear great things. Have, Have you been, been to London? There? I've never performed in London. I've been to London Yeah, once. I've done the Soho a few times. It's good. I hear it's great. Yeah, they're nice people there. Yeah. Which Do you know which room you're in? The cabaret? Oh, the downstairs one. Yeah. yeah that's like Is a, that cool? That's like a perfect sort of comedy setup. Yeah. Very intimate. it'll be all right for my show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. And I've heard, I've heard like if you get good reviews in Edinburgh that like the crowds will come for you there. Yeah, that might be. Uh... And I've heard they've got like a big, you know, people look for comedy at their space and, and you don't need to hustle all that much considering how I would hustle a little bit I'm still I mean I'm going to because I'm a maniac I'm just saying that based on me not selling out every show I don't plan on selling out but uh <sighs> thanks for being here man on that Chris sad side I thank know. you for having me. what is your uh what's your uh Twitter and website and all that sh- uh chrisgeth.com is the website and careersuicideshow.com for info on the show and then you know Twitter's Chris Gethard and, and all you can find all of them there but go see Career Suicide if you're in New York or if you're not in New York uh, you can fly to New York thanks for being here man thanks dude thanks for having me and people at home thanks for listening we'll see you hopefully next week bye This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs will donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.